Welcome to another episode celebrating Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. Today, your hosts are me, Jay Rich, and the phenomenal Christy Van Horn, and you're listening to the Bloodstream Podcast. You probably know Christy and I from our podcast, Flow, Straight Talk About Extreme Periods. We talk a lot about stigma on flow, stigma around shame, pain, and emotion. Here on Bloodstream today, we're focusing on grief. Good grief, which doesn't always have a stigma per se, but can be a shrouded experience since it is so personal, individual, and intimate. You know, it's so true. Everyone is different. Everyone experiences grief in their own way. It's vulnerable, but talking about it can help. Indeed. And hearing about how different folks process grief can be illuminating. And we're going to get some incredible valued insight on grief today, focusing on its impact for those in our bleeding disorders community with the one and only Dana Francis, a social worker at the University of California, San Francisco, who specializes in supporting adults with bleeding disorders, as well as their partners and family members. You may know him from Let's Talk. Ah, a great documentary. Um, We'll get to talking to Dana right after this quick break. I'm here with Dana Francis. Hi, Dana. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. To uh, get us started, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit from your perspective about the shared grief um, that the bleeding disorders community felt during the AIDS epidemic. And we all know that this was a time of such tragic loss for so many in this community. Um, Sure. I was thinking about how in, in the present time with the COVID epidemic, how we all know somebody uh, who's tested positive and a few of us know someone who have died. And I wanna just, I brought that up to compare it to the hemophilia community in the 80s and the 90s because people with hemophilia, so many, half the people with severe hemophilia, more than half in the country uh, got HIV and AIDS and died. And so everybody knew numerous people who were sick and it was like the gay community, but smaller. (laughs) And everyone knew someone who was ill or someone who had died. Um, And so the impact was enormous. And I would also say, and this is a tiny bit controversial, but I think the homophobia at the time in the country and even in our community got in the way of people being able to express their grief and loss openly and comfortably because of all the stigma that was out there around AIDS and um, the gay community. And so the hemophilia community for a long time, I think was struggling with that issue until they kind of broke through in the early nineties and started to say the heck with it. Nobody deserves this. And we're going to speak up and speak out too. Um, I did a couple of men's support groups during the the 90s from 89 until 2000 actually and we spent most of our time processing grief and a lot of the guys who were members in 1990 were not around in 2000 so it was a very very trying time for the men and women with bleed disorders in their families. 
I, I was going to ask a quick follow-up question to, do you think that in any way that we are still seeing that trauma play out in present time? I feel like I'm seeing a bit of PTSD um, now. It's really interesting. And I, I think some of the people in the community have mentioned it, not too many. I don't even know if people are aware, particularly that of what's happening, but this, the unknowns, the lack of medicine, at least it's starting to break through now, but there were many, many years during the AIDS crisis where they were trying experimental drugs that some of them were probably hurting people more than they were helping them. And I do think for the guys and the families who survived the 80s and the 90s that yes, during this COVID era, there is some back, not backlash, but PTSD coming up for people around, oh my God, here we go again with another epidemic and what are we going to do asking one more follow-up you mentioned that you spent a lot of time processing that grief and without going into the complete process i was wondering if you could tell us what kind of space you held and what that processing was like it was mostly just around creating a safe emotional space these were men's groups so i mean women are able to do this easier because of how women are raised i, I believe this in men have the capacity for it, but we're not raised to feel safe with each other around emotional stuff. But there was such a crisis at the time that men did start coming together in groups and they were, as they realized that it was safe and that it actually felt good to unburden themselves of all this sadness and loss, um, they were able to do that and, and they were able to tell another guy with hemophilia that, oh, I'm going to this men's group and we're, it's kind of hard because we're talking about our friends who have died, but it, it actually feels good to be with the other guys and talking about this stuff and you might want to check it out. And so that's how our group changed and grew over the decade, sadly, was we lost people, but some of those people invited their friends to come. And, um, and we just spent lots, lots of time. We talked about hemophilia. We talked about joint damage. We talked about factor and we talked about the community, but we always, we didn't have to make time. It just came up organically that we were talking about the people who had fallen and were gone and the people who were sick and couldn't come to the meeting. And this was back in the time you might, you guys might remember when you actually had a meeting in a room with other people. Wait, <laughs> what? Just, what? Is, yeah, really? Remember that? Um, so yeah, we, we just spent part of every meeting every month kind of processing what was happening in the community and even talking about, you know, very frankly with some of the guys who were not well about what was happening to them and what was probably going to happen to them. So it was hard. It was very hard time but you meant, for everyone. Of course. And, and yet you mentioned that the talking unburdened, um, my next question is, there's sort of a burden that's under discussed within our community, bleeding disorders community of, it's about the grief that caregivers may feel, the grief of adjusting to the unexpected new normal of life dedicated to caring for someone with a bleeding disorder. There is just some kind of burden of grief. Um, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Can I add to that? Yes, please. When we're talking about the AIDS epidemic too, just um, not only caregivers, but carriers who, you know, gave 
they see it, you know, as passing hemophilia onto their child, and then that child was infected with HIV. So, yeah, just to add to Jess's awesome question. Yeah. Um, I'll start with your comment there, and I'll move on to the other question. But moms, boy, they have it tough. They still do. But back in those days, there was guilt about passing the genetic material along to their sons and the daughters who were carriers, and some of them had bleeding symptoms too. And then HIV was like the double whammy. Um, it, none of it was their fault, the mom's fault, but that didn't matter. I mean, emotionally, they just felt so responsible. Um, and, there, and the grief was beyond measure for them when their children got sick and died. Um, I, what I wanted to say about grief, at least from my perspective, is that we often pair it with death and dying, but grief is, it is all about that, but it's about a, the transitions that we go through in life. So to, the, to your question, Jess, I think there's some really big uh, transitions there that are in process and coming for our community as people with bleeding disorders don't need as much care and attention. That There's a big transition. When you have a small child, yeah, it's gonna be the same as it always was. You're gonna to have to make sure they get their factor. You're gonna to have to make sure they get to the doctor. But in fact, these days, and I'm generalizing here, but they're not running to the, um, to the emergency room all the time anymore. There are kids in their teens and early 20s who've never had a bleed because of prophylaxis. And so moms and dads, hopefully, don't, they have plenty to do with their children, but it's nothing like it was 30 or 40 years ago or more. And it's, um, it's kind of a new world. And I, I just, when I talk about grief to people, I just really try to make sure that they think about the fact that a transition um, I'll give you a quick example. Um, someone who has a liver transplant, okay, with hemophilia, their liver is shot from hepatitis C or whatever, and they get a new liver, they don't have, they don't bleed anymore because the new liver uh, has the, produces the protein for factor eight or nine, and they no longer need factor and supplies. They have hemophilia genetically, but they don't have it practically. I've seen three or four men in their 50s and 60s who got a liver transplant who broke down in tears of grief after the surgery was over and successful about the fact that they didn't have hemophilia anymore. It hit them like a brick. They didn't, weren't expecting to feel this way, but that's grieving the loss of your identity, of who you've always been since you were born. And yeah, you're happy to not have to put the needle in your arm every other day, but it has, there are implications anyway. So we're, we're all in a huge transition in this community. Most of it's good. Liver transplant and not having hemophilia is good. Having a kid who's not going to have massive joint damage is good. But there, there are things to, to wrestle with even so. And I'm always in favor of people finding safe spaces to talk about those things. And to even come to the awareness that they are issues um, and not just kind of stumbling through and wondering why I'm feeling this way. Um, a mom may have seen someone in her family when she was a child dealing with her brother or something and how hard it was. And now 
she's realizing, oh, it's not as hard for me as it was for my mom with my brother. And that's good, but it's, it, it's a change for sure. And we're kind of, we keep moving in that direction, which is a good direction, but it's, it's challenging. And so I hope I answered your question to some degree. Absolutely. Change. Change is challenging and change is constant. That's what I... Yes. And it's good most of the time. Most Dana, of the... this wasn't uh, planned, but <laughs> could you give our listeners three tips, um, especially given the current times um, that we're living through uh, around their mental health? How can they... How? What tips would you give people right now to to just take care of themselves and their families. I'm thinking of uh, one of the guys in the um, Let's Talk film saying, reach out, reach out, reach out. Mm. Those were his three suggestions. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Mine would be along those lines. Try not to isolate, even though by nature of the beast, we're being asked to do so. But um, try to reach out to people and talk to them. this next one's harder, particularly for guys, but um, if you're really feeling like you're struggling emotionally, try to get some professional help. And I know that's a big stretch for a lot of men, but it's, it's, it's out there. Um, Zoom uh, makes it even easier now if you have the resources to do it, to get therapy and to not have to go someplace to do it. This is a little bit uh, amorphous, but pay attention to your self-talk, to the chatter. Uh, This is much harder than it sounds, but we all talk to ourselves all day long internally. And a whole lot of that often, sadly, isn't so good. And particularly when we're under stress, how hard things are and how I'm not measuring up or I'm not doing good enough or I'm not doing enough that I should be doing. And some of that might be true, but it's not helpful. And and so I guess my third piece of advice would just be start, if you can, start a little tiny practice within your head about fighting off that negative stuff and replacing some of it with positive affirmations, just good things, telling yourself what you are capable of, because that's where um, that's where a lot of depression and difficulty comes from. It's just that day-to-day inundation of what we're telling ourselves. And it come, it's come from our families, it's come from our schools, it's come from the world at large, it's come from the news, it's come from our political situation, and it's just, you know, it's a lot, and it's always coming at us. So to be aware of it is a beginning and to just try to work with it and turn it around is, is a, a good thing if you can do that. It's hard, but it's possible. All of this stuff, I keep coming back to this and I apologize, but as a man working with mostly men, all of this stuff is very challenging with men because of how we're socialized. And my, my unwritten job description since 1988 when I started working in the hemophilia community was to just kind of nudge guys towards a fuller humanity and a fuller sense of who they are and who they can be in the world. And I don't mean like the Marines, like be all that you can be. I mean, be a broader human and embrace the emotional side of your life as well as all the other stuff. Um, And 
that's it, like I said, it wasn't written down for me to do that, but I felt compelled to try to do it. And I'm still trying to do it all these years later. So anyway, such important work it really is. Well, golly, I'm so I feel so fortunate to have gotten some time to hear you speak and to hear you eloquate, be so eloquent about how men need space to have their emotions and that that's not part of the way we socialize, have socialized, but hopefully for new generations, new socialization skills and practices for boys and girls will uh, yes, be coming absolutely. to light. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much, Dana, for being with us today. I loved Dana's tips. Um, and thank you, Bloodstream team, for your work on this series. Thank you all for listening. And thanks to Kata for being the presenting sponsor of the Bloodstream podcast. Check out bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. You can circle back to hear all the episodes celebrating Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month and find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.